If you were to take your wife on vacation and want to see some of the greatest sights in the world today, maybe you go to the Taj Mahal in India. Maybe you go to the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Maybe you go see Christ the Redeemer in Brazil, the huge statue overlooking the mountains there. But if the year was 53 AD, you would want to hit as many of the, what is now called the seven ancient wonders of the world. How incredible to journey to all seven. These were some of the greatest sights you could ever see in humanity. And so maybe you take your wife to see the pyramids of Giza in Egypt. Maybe you go over to the hanging gardens of Babylon in Iraq. Maybe you go over to the statue of Zeus in Greece or the the tomb, a mausoleum of Halicarnassus in Turkey. Maybe you go back to Egypt to see the lighthouse of Alexandria or you go see the Colossus of Rhodes. But the seventh was the most magnificent of them all. The glorious temple of Artemis. The glorious temple of Artemis. Over 60 years to build, marble shipped in from all over the world. It sets in Turkey in a city called Ephesus. It was the greatest temple ever built to any god or goddess ever. Think about that. An explorer by the name of Philon actually had a chance to visit all seven. And here's what he says after he visits all seven. He says, I have seen the hanging gardens of Babylon, the statues of Zeus, the Colossi of Rhodes, the mighty works of the high pyramids in Egypt. But when I saw the temple of Artemis in Ephesus rising to the clouds, all these other wonders were put in the shade. This is Artemis. Millions worshipped Artemis. Known as the goddess of fertility, you see the fertile eggs around her. Again, all these temples in the world, but the chief temple was in Ephesus. Now, if you read the book of Acts, Paul the apostle and all of his missionary journeys that he took, he stayed in Ephesus the longest. He spent over two years in Ephesus, and maybe it's because he realized Ephesus was the place that was the headquarters of Artemis, churning out all over the known world this idol of Artemis. And so in Acts chapter 19, we're going to pick up the story of Paul in Ephesus as he encounters the goddess Artemis. After two years in Ephesus, there arose a great disturbance about the way a silversmith by the name of Demetrius, who made his silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the other workers in the related trade. There's a, in Ephesus, a silversmith by the name of Demetrius. He makes these idols of Artemis. And he's saying, wait a minute, our business is down. Why? Oh, the apostle Paul is still here. It's been two years. He's drawing people away from worship of Artemis. Demetrius continues. He tells these other idol makers, you know, my friends, that we receive a great income from Artemis and this business. You see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people in Ephesus and practically not only in Ephesus, he's telling this message all over the province of Asia. I have actually heard him say Artemis is not a goddess. Like I have heard that from the mouth of Paul. Demetrius Continues, there is danger not only of this trade of ours that would come into disrepute, 
but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis might be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. She whom all of Asia worships. And all of a sudden these idol makers, they start chanting. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And then they make their way to the theater, which holds 25,000 people. And after a period of a few hours, Demetrius and a few idol makers have gathered 25,000 people in this arena. Paul wants to go in. They're like, you can't go in. The disciples wouldn't let him. The, The passage says for about two hours, they cried out with one voice. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 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 And then the town clerk, who's the highest known official in the city, realizes this is not an okay moment. If Rome finds out that we've gathered, they're going to think we're rioting against them and bring in a military. So the town clerk stands up and says, men of Ephesus, who is there who doesn't know the city of Ephesians? The city of Ephesians is the temple of the keeper of Artemis. Show me one person on planet earth breathing that doesn't know we're the hub of Artemis. You have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of the goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have, com- have a complaint against one another, the courts are open. There's pro-councils. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you think anything further is going to happen here, it should be settled in a regular assembly. And when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Again, it's so telling what this town clerk says. Men of Ephesus, who is there who doesn't know the city of Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis? This is the greatest temple to any god or any goddess in the known world. So, To recap, Paul the Apostle spends two years in Ephesus. All of a sudden, Demetrius, the idol maker, realizes his occupation is getting lower and lower on the the hierarchy and people are coming to him buying idols. He rallies 25,000 people and then they disperse. I don't care who you were in 53 AD. If you were a disciple of Paul the Apostle, And someone told you, one day Artemis will be worshipped no more. You wouldn't believe him. You couldn't fathom, not in your wildest of prayers, would you ever think one day Artemis will be no more. My wife and I, we spent time in Turkey. We spent time in Ephesus. I actually went into the theater, the huge Colosseum, where the 25,000 people gathered. I sat in the chair where they chanted in 53 AD, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For over two hours, they chanted. I sat in the chair. I then told our tour guide, I said, man, take me and my wife to the temple of Artemis, this ancient wonder of the world. I want to see it. We get in the car, we drive 15 minutes down the road. I stood in front of the temple of Artemis. And in that moment, I'll never forget what I said to the guide. Where is it? Where is it? And the guide said, that's all that's left. 
I said, where? He said, right there is the last remains of the mighty temple of Artemis. And as I looked to what he was pointing to, he was pointing to a broken pillar barely coming out of the water with two turtles, one on top of the the other. My wife snapped a picture. We call it two turtles on a broken pillar. (laughs) Two turtles on a broken pillar. Now, during that time, my wife and I were living in the Middle East in a country of 900,000 people with eight known believers. And never in my wildest of prayers would I think one day Islam will be no more. One day the shouts are going to shift. My wife and I have been in 60 countries all over the planet, hundreds of thousands of pictures taken. The two turtles on a broken pillar is by far our favorite. The two turtles on a broken pillar shows us that one day the shouts are going to shift. Listen to these passages as I read. Deuteronomy 10, 17, For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. 1 Chronicles 29, Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the majesty, the splendor. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted head over all. Philippians 2, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him a name above every name, even Artemis. This would sound crazy in 53 AD. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Yet today, there is 1.2 billion Muslims who wake up every morning and shout, La ilaha illallah wa Muhammad Rasul Allah. There is one God, Allah, and you, Muhammad, are his prophet. 1.2 billion Muslims wake up and say, Great is Allah. My wife and I sent the two turtles on a broken pillar picture to our missionary friends in the Middle East. And said, one day Islam will be no more. Every morning, 950 million Hindus wake up and shout, Great is Shiva, great is Ganesh, great is Hanuman. My wife and I sent the two turtles on a broken pillar picture to our missionary friends in India and said, one day Hinduism will be no more. Every morning, 650 million Buddhists wake up and shout, Great is Buddha, great is Buddha, great is Buddha. My wife and I sent the two turtles on a broken pillar picture to our missionary friends in Cambodia And said, one day Buddhism will be no more. Every morning, 350 million Confucius wake up and shout, greatest Confucius, greatest Confucius, greatest Confucius. My wife and I sent the two turtles on a broken pillar picture to our missionary friends in China. One day Confucianism will be no more. Every morning, 250 million Taoists wake up and shout, greatest Lao Tzu, greatest Lao Tzu. My wife and I again sent the two turtles on a broken pillar picture to our missionary friends in China. And said, one day, Taoism will be no more. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Never in their wildest prayers would they think the shouts had shifted so much. I googled how many followers of Artemis today. Zero. Zero. Never in their wildest thoughts 
God is shifting the shouts, even in our generation. Yet how do Christ's followers respond? When God invites us to engage in his mission to watch this transition take place, how do we respond? Here's another stat for you. 95% of Christians have never led someone to Christ. 93% have never tried. And I think we just get so afraid, don't we? Oh man, their beliefs are just entrenched in it for three generations. This is the way, been the way they think. There's no way that my testimony could have power enough to change and save them. But God is inviting us to engage, to enter into the lives of people who maybe they don't believe like us. That's fine. You're going to be able to watch the shouts shift. I had the opportunity to speak at the largest Christian university in all of Canada. 5,000 students attend there. It was an incredible opportunity. I was scheduled to speak Tuesday morning for chapel, Wednesday morning for chapel, Thursday morning for chapel, and Beth Moore was closing for me Friday morning for chapel. I'm like, this is going to be epic. Did I tell you it's 5,000 students? Did I tell you it's the largest Christian university in all of Canada? So even though it's in the same time zone, I wanted to get there a day early just to get acclimated. And um, I show up Tuesday morning. I get there. I meet with the campus minister. And I was like, this place is incredible. He's like, yes, we are the largest Christian. I'm like, I know. He's, I said, how many students go here? He said, man, right at 5,000. I was like, this is amazing. I said, where do you guys even meet for chapel? Where will we be meeting all week? He said, oh, we're going to meet in the basketball arena. That's the only place that can hold us. I said, listen, um, numbers don't matter, but today they do. Um, I said, about how many students will I be speaking to? And he said, oh, did I not tell you in the email? For missions week, we make chapel optional. So we're praying for 200. I go in, I set up, I get up. I speak to 185 students and I tell the 185, I said, man, wouldn't it be incredible if before you, before you went off and started your career, you spent five years of your life in the Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Chinese, and tribal world. And that was my challenge as I left the stage. And as I left the stage, I, I pull off my mic, I walk over the side and there's a line eight deep of Canadian students. The first one, man, thank you for that message. That was incredible. I can't go overseas after college. I'm engaged to be married. The next one, man, thank you so much for that message. We totally loved it. It resonated. I can't go overseas. My parents would freak. The next one, wow, that was a powerful message. Thank you so much. I can't go overseas. I'm, I'm getting a master's. The next one, man, thank you so much. That was really incredible. I can't go overseas. I just don't feel called. The next one, man, thank you for that. That was really what I needed to hear. Man, this is just bad timing. I can't go overseas right now. I just signed a two-year iPhone contract. <laughs> and one over the other, one after another. I then spoke Wednesday morning at chapel to about 145 students. I spoke Thursday morning at chapel to about 85 students. I then flew out Friday. I flew out Friday and I didn't go back home. Instead, I flew out to, uh, to Utah. I was scheduled to speak at a church in Salt Lake City, Utah that Sunday. I fly into the airport. I grab my rental. I plug in where I'm going. And my, the, the Google Maps says, turn right on Temple Street. And I'm like, to where? To where does Temple Street lead? And I realized first in Temple is the largest Mormon temple in the world. 
And I was like, I want to go. I want to go get a selfie in front of the largest Mormon temple in the world. So I drive over to First and Temple, get out, pop a selfie. I then look over right to the, to the left of the largest Mormon temple in the world is a three-story building the size of this church, but it's all glass. And etched in glass, it says, Mormon Welcome Center. I want to go. I want to be welcomed by Mormons in Utah. I mean, how, how sweet would that be? Maybe an angel gets its wings. We just don't know what happens when that happens. So I walk over to the Mormon Welcome Center. I open the door and I yell, good morning. <laughs> Top of the Mormon to you. 20 of the best dressed, nicest looking, seemingly best educated people came walking towards me. One of them peels off and she, she starts talking to me. She's like, hi, my name's Rachel. How can I help you? And I'm like, Rachel, how did you wind up here? And she's like, what do you mean? I said, how did you wind up here? She says, well, every Mormon has to give two years of their life after they graduate to a mission trip. And a letter comes from the church telling us where we're stationed. And I'm like, you guys get a letter from the church and you go there no matter where? She's like, yeah. I said, what's the letter say? She gets in her purse, pulls the letter out, and says, this is the letter. It's the most important thing I own. I held the letter. I read the letter. I then drive 40 minutes south to Provo, Utah, where Brigham Young University is. I was scheduled to speak at Brigham Young University. Brigham Young University is the largest Mormon university in the world. There's a handful of Christ followers on campus. We were speaking to them of how to have a ministry. I'm literally pulling into Provo, Utah. I'm looking where Brigham Young is. And all of a sudden I look to the left and I see this building. And what caught my attention was the sign on the building. The sign said, the missionary mall. I want to go. I want to go to the missionary mall. What beautiful things could one purchase at a place called the Missionary Mall? So I park my car, I walk in, and I realize the Missionary Mall is where the parents and the grandparents of the Mormon mission, mission kids going out take their child to get everything they need on their Mormon mission. The Missionary Mall is where you take your son and our daughter when they're getting ready to go to North Africa for the Mormon church. You, they get everything they need from the Missionary Mall. Tie, suit, bike, helmet. It all comes from the Missionary Mall. And all I'm doing, all I'm doing in the Missionary Mall, I'm just looking at the faces of the fathers. I'm looking at the faces of the grandfathers. I'm looking at the faces of the mothers. And I'm looking at the faces of the grandmothers. Joy excitement. This is the greatest day of our life. No price too high, son. Whatever you need. I walked out of the missionary mall. I got back in my car. I opened my journal and I wrote, Mormons give two years. Christians give excuses. Mormons give two years. Christians give excuses. Here's the most recent stat we have. 
If your son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter decides they want to be missionaries, the newest stat we have is 99.5% of all Christian parents will spend the next six months trying to talk their children out of it. 99.5% of Christian parents will spend the next six months trying to talk their children out of it. I mean, are you sure? Is this for you? You've never traveled even. This just sounds so weird coming from you. You don't even wear Toms. How are you going to be a missionary? Like, this is just weird. Did you tell your dad? I hope you didn't tell your dad. Your dad's going to freak. I'm kind of handling this okay, but your dad's going to... You didn't even... You, you, we spent all this time and money and this energy raising you that you would be wasted on the foreign field. I mean, we paid for your college and now you're not even going to use it. This is, just, this is just confusing. Did you tell your sister? Oh, you better not have told your sister. Yeah, don't tell your sister. Who put you up to this? Like, who told you about this? This is just a bad idea. Do you, can you stand in front of me right now and tell me you feel called? Like you had a clear call. Do you doubt? If you doubt, you can't go. If there is one small piece of doubt in your life, you need to stay here, live with us, and work at Starbucks. You cannot doubt. I didn't want to say this. You've left me no choice. If you step on that plane, you're committing to dying single. You will die single. Like no one's going to marry you. You think you're having a hard time finding a date now in Milwaukee? Imagine in the Middle East. No one's, and that means I'm not going to have grandkids. This affects us all. Don't you think? Don't you think if you were supposed to go over there that we would be the first to know? Don't you think God would speak to us before you? Have you thought about that? And your mom and I, we, we've got nothing. We've heard nothing. This is just confusing. Is it because you didn't get a job? Have you put your resume out there? Are you sure? Should we talk to the pastor? Let's talk to the pastor. He's going to agree with us. And guess who does that? When God invites us in to shift the shouts, what do we do? Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord, I can't. And notice what caused the riots to begin with in Acts 19. Notice the idol maker Demetrius. Listen to what he says. A silversmith named Demetrius who made his silver shrines of Artemis brought in a lot of business. His money. His money made him act a little different. And the same with us, isn't it? As Christ followers, our money sometimes inhibits the mission of God in our life. I love God, but I love three things before God. They all start with C's. It's my three C issue. I love God, but I love three things more than, more than God. Comfort, convenience, and my kids. Okay, those are my those are my three issues. Okay, I love God, but I got my comfort, my convenience, my kids. Oh, and the savings is that a C? Savings. I love my savings, and so what happens is God invites me in to shift the shouts. But I ask God, God, does it affect how I live and how I give and how I raise my kids? 
Yes. Engaging my mission to reach the nations affects how you live, how you give, and how you raise your kids. Then please, Lord, have me excused. I'm sure there's someone else who's interested and gifted for this. This is just not for me. And we justify our inactivity. We justify our inactivity. There was a scholar who wrote an article. He was a Greek goddess scholar, and he wrote an article on the history of Artemis. I received the journal the article was in. I read the article he wrote on the great goddess Artemis. The last line of this Greek scholar on what happened to the worship of Artemis. And I quote, Christianity brought an end to Artemis worship. Christianity brought an end to Artemis worship. God is inviting us to watch the shifting of the shouts. Think about this. More Muslims have come to Christ in the last 30 years than the previous 1400. More Muslims have come to Christ in the last 30 years than the previous 1400. Think about this, that the number one Buddhist scholar on the planet who consoles the Dalai Lama on what books the Dalai Lama should endorse. His name is Paul Williams. He's the leader of the Buddhist Center at Cambridge for World Studies. Something happened a few years ago to Paul Williams. He became a Christian and he wrote a book called The Unexpected Way. In China, they don't even print the statistics of how many Christians there are because it's grown from 30 million to 100 million and they're embarrassed. Literally, we're seeing the shifting of the shouts. But what happens? We still have a ways to go. Here's a map of the world. This map is called the 1040 window. It's 10 degrees up from the equator, 40 degrees up from the equator. And it stretches across Asia and the Middle East. In this box, every major world religion began. 65 countries are in this box. Roughly 3.1 billion people reside in this box. And 88% of every person breathing in the box will live and die and never shake hands with a Christian. 88% of those will live and die and never shake hands with a Christian. If you're a Christ follower, you're responsible to help shift the shouts in the box. And I'm not even asking you to pack up your belongings, sell your house in Bentonville and, and fly overseas, get the hep A shot, polio shot, yellow fever shot, learn a language and put your kids in a foreign, foreign school. I'm saying you can reach the 1040 window by looking at who your kids are playing soccer with because there's Muslims on our team. You can look around you at who you're working with, because guess what? In your office, there's Buddhists. You can look at your neighborhood, because guess what? There are Hindus. I mean, we have, a, we have an opportunity to shift the shouts without even leaving our zip code. Yet so many, so often, say nothing. And God invites us in, and we say, Sorry, Lord, if this affects how I live and how I give and how I raise my kids... I can't. But meanwhile, God invites us in. This afternoon, I know you have a lot going on, but I want to invite you back for a few hours. We're going to look practically 
We're going to have two more messages this afternoon on how we can be involved in shifting the shouts without even leaving our zip code. How God wants to use you in your life, in your job, in your world. We have five kids. My wife wanted a sixth. I'm like, why? She looked at me and without a quiver in her voice said, every basketball team needs a sub. And when you think about it, it's true. Every basketball team needs a sub. And so we decided to have our six. And in doing this, we decided to adopt from China. And so uh, we brought him home last year in August, a uh, little noble. He's five. But before we went to China, we realized it was going to be crazy when we brought him home. And we just thought, let's just take a family vacation somewhere just to get out, get away before we fly to China. And, you know, we're a Christ-following homeschool family who live in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So where do you go? The Ark. They found it. It's in Kentucky. (laughs) They were way off, man. They were looking in Sinai. I mean, how embarrassing is that? And so we were telling our kids about this archaeological dig that took like 30 years to bring the ark in perfect preference, uh, you know, out of, out of, out of, um, in perfect preservation out of the ground. And we were just getting excited about uh, Kentucky. And um, we're having him read Noah and the ark just to kind of say, wow, this is what happened. You're going to see the actual thing. And it's cool when your faith and fact hit, you know. And so we get to the ark and we're, I mean, they, I was way off. They had an elevator. I'm like, what? My son comes up to me, dad, why do they have a, why do they have a gift shop? Like there was eight people on the boat. My other son's like, only God knows. That's what you ask him in heaven. <laughs> Restrooms, handicap accessibility. It was really cool. I mean, it just shows you God was involved. I think that's the main point. We stayed at a hotel by the ark and um, that morning I went downstairs for breakfast. My wife stayed up in the with our five kids. And as I went downstairs for breakfast, you know, if you've ever adopted or you know someone who's adopted for like the 15 months of the adoption process, that's like all you talk about. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, we're adopting. No way. Well, since you want to talk about it, I will. And that's all you talk about is adopting. And so I was downstairs having breakfast. The waitress comes over. She's like, what brings you to Kentucky? And I was like, well, we're actually leaving here and going to China to get our son. I said, we're adopting. And, 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 As she's refilling my coffee, she asked me a question that confused me. She asked me a question that shocked me. She asked me a question that I couldn't even answer. As she's refilling my coffee, she leans in and says, Does he know you're coming for him? I said, excuse me, ma'am? She said, your son in China, does he know you're coming for him? He has no idea. 
He has no idea that I've spent $34,000. He has no idea that I've spent 15 months in background checks, FBI checks, tax returns. He has no idea that he has five siblings desperately ready to love him. He has no idea that he has a college fund right now in his name. He has no idea that in 21 days, he's going to be stamped a new citizen of this magnificent country and be afforded every right and privilege this great country allows. He has no idea he has a father. But I'm coming for him. I'm coming for him. And we talk as Christians about the second coming, but I just want to tell you right now, half the world's never heard of the first. And they're shouting, great is Allah, great is Ganesh, great is Shiva, great is Hanuman. But I promise you this, the shouts will shift to great is our God. And so, Father, that's our prayer this morning, is that we would participate in the greatest thing we could give our lives for, and that is to watch the shifting of the shouts move from other gods and other idols that we know you tell us they're not even gods at all to watching people everywhere worship and praise you specifically across the 1040 window. Amen.